looking at this idea of the seven deadly sins. So last week he kind of goes over through the overview as to where do these seven deadly sins come from, how did we develop them? Because you don't go to the Bible necessarily and see this list of seven deadly sins, however they're supported in the Bible. And so today we're looking at this again, this big picture, and we're going to focus on one of these things, actually the root of the seven deadly sins. So this kind of big idea was, came from um, these desert monks who went out to the desert thinking they would escape essentially sin and themselves and came to find that even in the desert, in complete quiet and stillness, you still can struggle with sin. So they kind of worked through all of those things and found that this was still an issue. And that's kind of where the seven deadly sins kind of arose from, was from their time in the desert when they were sacrificing themselves and their time to God and making it all about Jesus. And so over time, you've seen these uh, seven deadly sins kind of go back and forth. You can look back on time and you can see how there's Pope Gregory who would create a list and then Aquinas who would create a list. And eventually it got to this point where there's seven deadly sins and then there's a root of, one of, the, of all those sins. And that is pride. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's go back to our overarching scripture that kind of uh, frames this for us, this idea of how easily it is to get entangled in sin. And that's out of Romans 7, 15. And I'm going to read it really slowly because it says the word do about 30 times, which is really, for some reason, hard to read. So we're going to read it together. 7, 15 says this. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Do you ever feel like that? I'm trying to do the right thing and still I homeschool right now. Every day I feel like this. I'm trying to do it right and not harm you. Don't worry, I don't harm my children. But my words sometimes, like, do. It's that struggle. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. We call it the doo-doo scripture. (laughs) Because really that's what you feel like when you keep failing doo-doo, right? (laughs) okay let's just be real five o'clock alive here (laughs) so Paul is discussing this idea of exactly what the monks had found was that even when I give everything of myself to God and I escape to the desert I still find myself doing things I don't want to do even then even when I've said I'm all yours God I still struggle with sin it's almost impossible but God right And why wouldn't it be that when much of our humanity is based on selfish ambition, that we struggle with pride? In several lists, pride is included as one of the deadly sins, but that's frankly confused with this idea of vainglory, which is a similar idea, but it's the acting out of pride is vainglory. It's acting as if you're better than, where pride can sometimes just sneak in And you don't even realize that it's happening. It's this root issue within us. Pope Gregory I says this, For the tempting vices which fight against us is an invisible contest on behalf of pride which reigns over them. Some of them go first like captains, others follow. 
And what he's saying is that some sins happen first, and then the other sins follow because of that root thing. And that's what he's saying about pride here. After the manner of an army. For when pride, the queen of sins, has fully possessed a conquered heart, she surrenders it immediately to seven principal sins, as if to some of her generals to lay it waste. For pride is the root of all evil. But seven principal vices, as its first progeny, no doubt sprint this poisonous root, namely vainglory, envy, anger, melancholy, avarice, which is greed, gluttony, and lust. So the title of my message today is The Root of All Evil. Let's pray. Well, God, we just come before you right now, Lord, and we are talking about hard things in these next eight weeks as we highlight sin and how it entangles us and the, the way it sneaks in, God. And I just pray right now for open hearts and open minds, God. I pray that you would help us to check our hearts and check our spirits, God, and that we might continue to pursue you even in the midst of the things we do not want to do. And I just pray right now that you'd be in this place and that you would speak in and through me in Jesus' name. Amen. So pride is thought to be, there's my friend. <laughs> pride is thought to be the original sin. It's the sin cycle of all sin cycles. It's the first. It's the beginning. Let's look at the story of Adam and Eve. This is where the first original sin of pride took place. We see it in Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit, the fruit from each of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Pretty good idea. Just stay away then. Verse 4, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. That just shows the power that women have. <laughs> then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here's what we see here is that Eve disobeyed because of pride. She thought, surely this tree is not that bad. Surely this fruit won't bring harm. Surely I know better than God. Therefore, insert sin into all humanity because of pride. And sure, we can see that the serpent was deceptive, but Eve still had to make a choice. Eve put the serpent even above God and his authority. And she fell to pride and ultimately fell to shame. Because you see, when pride was inserted, immediately following, shame was inserted. They didn't feel comfortable any longer in themselves they didn't feel secure any longer. They didn't feel safe anymore. They felt the vulnerability of sin, which had just entered the garden. So we see Augustine, Augustine in his confession says this. My sin was this, that I looked for pleasure, beauty, and truth, not in God, but in myself and in his other creatures. And the search led me instead to pain, confusion, and error. 
And that's the danger of pride. And this was Eve's mistake. She sought more than the beautifully perfect life she lived in daily communion with God who would come down and walk with them in the garden. And Eve still thought there must be more to this. You look at the disciples and we see them three years walking with Jesus and still tripping up. So while that's like, you might think to yourself, I would, I mean, if Jesus was by me all the time telling me what to do, I would do it. Well, clearly that wasn't the case for Eve and that wasn't the case for the disciples. In our human nature, our struggle is to not think that we might know better than even the greatest of greatest. Even then, the king of kings. So what does pride look like? Pride is this incessant desire to be the best and act as if we are the best. It's this I know everything, thinking an ultimately superior to another and their thoughts, wisdom, and desires. And this is what Eve's behavior was as a demonstration to God himself. Ultimately, I, I, I know better. Now, did she go through this whole thought process while she's standing there taking a bite of whatever delicious fruit it was? No. I'm sure she looked back in moments and saw where it fell apart and said, okay, clearly I didn't know better than God, right? So pride is easy to fall to. Eve sitting in this beautiful garden with God, walking alongside of her and Adam in full communion with him at all times, still fell into pride. The monastic monks we saw go into complete isolation, and they couldn't get away from themselves and their sin. So... Here's an example of, I, I, it might be an example of pride. I think it's an example of competition. But um, I, I happen to think that I'm really good at everything. I call that competitive. And then I have people cheer me on, and I'm like, see? See, I told you. I call it competitive. Others might call it prideful. I, I'm just going to stick with this idea of competition. But <laughs> I went golfing. Jason and I, we went golfing in Phoenix. This is probably the last time we went golfing and the first time. But... Um, and, you know, I was not exactly this picture of grace. Like, I mean, I was looked gracious, because remember, I'm, like, great at everything. But <laughs> my swing probably looked amazing. But I was a mess on the, on the golf course, because I thought I should surely be good at everything. I should be able to hit this tiny ball as far as I need to, straight, 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 far, far away, 300 yards. That's that's just natural, right? Like, that's what, I mean, that's what good people can do when they're good at everything. So, like, you know. Well, anyway, that was obviously not the case. And because of it, I had a really bad attitude. I mean, really bad. Like, <laughs> no patience for the golf course. You got 18 holes to deal with this. And the whole time, I'm like, really? Just, I'm just going to suck the whole time? Like, that's not, that's not who I am. <laughs> this is not who I am. So I would get so frustrated in hitting. And, you know, one day I actually, we, so we must have gone out a couple times, but this one hole I actually birdied. And see, I thought I should at least par everything. Well, no, I did not. I, like, doubled parred everything, I'm sure. But at one point I birdied, and I was standing here on this little hill, and I was chipping into the cup, which was past that wall over there, and that just made me feel like, see, I know what I'm doing because I actually hit it from here all the way to there, and I made it. And so it just gave me more pride, right? <laughs> I was just filled with like, see? But then the next hole, I was just a mess again. So the reality is, is that that's pride. 
okay? And I know it's like a silly story, but it's so easy to how it creeps in and how we deceive ourselves so often in saying, no, no, I'm just competitive. No, you're kind of being prideful. Like, you think you're going to be good at something you've never even practiced. Meanwhile, like, I do this every day and I'm still learning, <laughs> you know, that's pride. And it's easy to identify in other people, right? Right? But it's not so easy to identify in yourself. However, if you're currently sitting here saying, I'm so glad I'm not that way, you are currently being prideful. Welcome to pride. (laughs) It's easy to engage in. Rebecca Day Young says this out of Glittering Vices. She says, the prideful patterns that show up in the seven deadly sins demonstrate a quest to provide happiness for ourselves through whatever God substitute we choose, pleasure, approval, wealth, power, status. And that's where pride begins. It's this desire to have more for ourselves, to try to obtain something to substitute God, ultimately. So I just want to quickly share with you some points that that remind us that these thoughts are actually very biblical, and pride is actually all over the Bible. And so I picked a few verses to kind of highlight some of these things and support, you know, the danger of pride, and then we're going to talk about some antidotes of pride as well. So my first point in this under the danger of pride is that the danger of pride is soul sickness. So we look at this story in Chronicles Verse, um, 2 Chronicles 32, and it's with King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah, for the most part, was following God. He was doing what God called him to do and obeying the laws of the land and all the things. And if you've read through, you'll, you've read through any of the judges and kings and all the things, you always hear like, okay, this guy followed God and this guy didn't. And that's how it kind of was laid out. So he followed God, but in Verse 24, we see this happening to Hezekiah. We see this. In those days, Hezekiah became sick to the point of death. So he prayed to the Lord. He had communion with the Lord. He knew the Lord. And he spoke to him and gave him a miraculous sign. However, because his heart was proud, Hezekiah didn't respond according to the benefit that had come to him. So there was wrath on him, Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. He and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the Lord's wrath didn't come on them during Hezekiah's lifetime. And we see in Isaiah the same story of Hezekiah. He's being told, just so you know, this sickness is actually going to kill you. And Hezekiah goes to the prophet and says, please do not allow this to be my, I don't want to leave yet. I'm not ready yet. There's more for me to do. And he goes and and he asks God, can I live? And so this is the story we're seeing play out here is that Hezekiah had to come and submit to God, back to God, and say, in humility, I release my pridefulness. And that's when he saw the healing take place. But at first, Hezekiah's soul was sick. He didn't notice even the miraculous sign that God had given him. And so that's the problem with pride is often we don't even notice the miraculous sign because our soul can't identify it. And it nearly kept Hezekiah from a continued life. 3 John 1, 2 says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Our soul is meant to prosper. Our body is meant to prosper. Our mind is meant to prosper. We are meant to live and we're created to live just as Adam and Eve did before the fall. That was what we as humans were created for. 
That was our design and our purpose, was to have full communion with God, to have purpose under God, to have prosperity in our minds and our hearts and our souls. And when pride enters in, our soul becomes sick. The second is this. The second danger of pride is this, humiliation. I don't know about you, but I, I actually laugh when people get hurt. And I know, like, that's nobody else would do such mean things, but... I mean, I, <laughs> I laugh when I get hurt, too. But you know when you get, like, when you're, like, walking along and, like, you're feeling so good and then you just, like, trip on the ice or something and you're, like, all, like, laid out. And you know, you know that you're, like, that's, that's just, that's God. He just humbled you. You were walking too confidently. You needed to be laid out. But <laughs> we see in the Bible where Isaiah says this. He says, the pride of mankind will be brought low. And human loftiness will be humbled. And I don't know about you, but I don't want God to be my humbler. <laughs> I would rather just, just be humble. Like, I don't want to be laid out by God. We've seen that in other people's lives, haven't we? Where it's like, they're just trucking along, feeling so good about themselves. And you know, you're like, okay, Lord, like, they are, they are missing something. They are missing it right now. And it's like God suddenly kind of corrects a bit. And you're like, oh, glad that's not me. <laughs> That's pride, but, you know, like, <laughs> we don't want God to be the one to humble us, right? The Lord, we don't want God to be like Hezekiah. Well, I'm just going to take you out because you just are, you're just too prideful, right? So, <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's just me. Um, Job 22, 29 says this, when others are humiliated and you say, lift them up, God will save the humble. Proverbs 11:2 says, when arrogance comes, disgrace follows, but humility comes, with humility comes wisdom. So I have two little girls and a boy, and my boy did not have this problem, but he's nine, almost ten. It's like devastating to even say that out loud, but he's almost ten. But my, my girls both have this issue of pitching fits when they're not getting something they want, and inevitably they get hurt every time. You know the one where they're just pitching the fit and then they slam themselves back on the floor and smack their head really hard and you're like, kind of like. <laughs> I told you so. Like, I don't, you know, you're like, okay. And that's, what, that's what we're like as people sometimes. We can be so prideful. We want our things so bad. We chase it so hard and we pitch a fit about it and we push it and we push it up the hill and we say, we're going to do this on our own. We're going to make this on our own and we're going we're gonna to have it all on our own. And God just lays us out. <laughs> it's like, you sure about that? That's not the way, right? And that's what I think about. I think about my toddlers and Shiloh's not a toddler anymore, but she used to do that when she was a toddler and I just would literally be like, can you just not do that because you're going to crack your head open? Like, I know what's coming next kind of thing. And I feel like that's the reality is humiliation often comes with our prideful spirit. The third point is this, distancing from God. That's the danger of pride. So let's go back to the beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden. We see in Genesis 3.23 it says, so the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And here's the thing I don't want you to hear. If I mess up, I don't have a relationship with God. No, that's not true. Your eternity is secure, so you can all take a deep breath. But the reality is, is that Adam and Eve were no longer in daily communion with God. 
They didn't get a walk in this blissful place of communion with God. And the problem with pride is it can often distance us. When our alignment is with sin instead of our alignment with God, we're distanced from him. When we're choosing sin alignment. And I think that the reality that our sin can separate us from God is, is, is scary. You know, I often hear this idea that um, people are praying for something. And, you know, I'm just praying about that to God. And can I just tell you, there's certain things you don't have to pray about because they're in the Bible. Okay, you don't have to pray about how to treat your neighbor who's being a jerk. You don't have to pray about that. It says love your enemy. <laughs> or if you don't want to call them your enemy, it says love your neighbors. So you don't need to pray about that. But there's things that, you know, we often go to God for and we want to pray and ask him, what do you think about this God in my life? And there is this blockade of sin in the way of our complete communion from him. And this release isn't able to come and full flow completely because we're not first checking our heart and saying, God, what's in the way of me hearing you? And so there's the problem when we're in sin, actively choosing it, and sometimes not actively, where we just have to go to God and go, God, please, Tell me if there's anything in me that's in the way of me and you. And he'll highlight those things. Most of us aren't intentionally going around disobeying. I like to think, right? I like to think my kids don't intentionally disobey me. Most of the time, it's true. Most of the time, it's the case. But there's sometimes there's a connection issue because we are operating in pride in certain areas of our life. Because we are operating in our sin nature in certain areas. So the connection issue is there. It's a fuzzy connection. Does that mean that God cannot interrupt your life at any given moment and speak to you? No. But the daily communion with God can be blocked when we don't first surrender our sin nature to him. And say, God, I know there's areas of my life that are blocking me from full understanding of what you're communicating to me. And sometimes we need answers so desperately, but we're not willing to look into our soul and go, God, first of all, what's wrong in me? What's missing in me? What am I not giving to you? What have I not surrendered to you today? Before I come to you with my prayer and my request, God, I come to you in repentance. And that's the kind of humility that God calls us to. That's what strips away pride is that kind of humility where we go, okay, God, I'm ready for you to check me. I'm ready, right? I'm not going to get laid out because I'm ready. <laughs> so I'm okay with you just telling me that, hey, I, I want to check this part of your life. And it allows us to be in community with him. But when we don't do that, when we have those things going on, there's a distancing of God from God that is felt in our lives. Adam and Eve went through a distancing. Their closeness to God changed and shifted because of pride. So, you guys ready for some good news? First of all, just so you know, this takes work, so I don't know if that's good news because work is hard. So, the first thing is this. The antidote to pride is this sin sincerity. We have to realize that we do not know it all. I understand now that I cannot be and am not good at everything or actually most things. The things I want to be good at, I will never be good at. And I just have to lay it down and pray that in heaven I can be really good, great dancer like Pastor Andrew. You know, <laughs> there's things I just have to realize I'm not going to be good at everything. It's just not who I'm called to be. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't know it all. 
1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. See, when your motives and your actions are coming out of a place to do it as, to, as unto God, everything shifts. Because you realize, oh, I don't want to do that halfway because I'm doing it to God. And I don't want to give him halfway. He gave me his son who gave me all the way. So why am I going to try and do this halfway? I'm doing it as unto God. And I think that's where we can get stuck a little bit sometimes is that we struggle with sincerity in our response to God. And God is asking us to be sincere, to be authentic, and to say, hey, I understand I don't know it all. And I'm going to do everything I do in my life as unto you. And therefore, my spirit is checked, I'm checked, the humility is there, and it's processing. The second thing is this, and our team can come up. Servanthood is the second antidote to pride. So here at the well, we really like to say this thing. If you are too big for the toilet, you are too small for the pulpit. pulpit. And here's what we're saying. We're saying that we all serve any given Sunday anywhere we need to serve. I will still clean windows if they're dirty. I will still pick up a broom if it's dirty. And that the reality is, and that, that's, I don't necessarily want to be in the pole bell all the time. So, you know, but there's people that come in, they're like, hey, I can do this for you. And it's like, hey, you know what I actually need is this. What am I saying? I'm not trying to say like servanthood at the well. I'm just saying servanthood in our life in general needs to be activated to strip away pride. So there's people in your life you need to be serving. There's coworkers that you need to serve, that they need to see that sense of selflessness And I know that's hard because, again, we earn those spaces and places, right? We earn that position so we get to, you know, help people work hard and whatever. We earn the position of CEO potentially. That doesn't mean we have to operate in a place of pride. We saw Jesus, who literally was the king of kings, lord of lords, come down and wash the feet of the disciples. He lived in ultimate servanthood. He didn't have to live like that. He's literally the king of everything. He owns it all, and yet he came down and he served. So it's this idea of servanthood, that whether it's getting on a team here at the well or it is serving the people in your world or it's both, it's this idea of saying, I'm not going to live in my prideful self and that I need to live in a place of selflessness. Philippians 2, 3 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Matthew 20, 25 says this, Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Here's the thing, serving keeps us humble. It reminds us that there's other people on the planet walking this life out with us. So whether it's serving my family or serving my friends or serving a stranger, that's the life we're called to. And I gotta say that there is some of us that need to learn this idea that we are not to promote ourselves. God promotes us. God puts us in position in spaces and places. And we have to trust him with our journey. And that space and place that we desire one day starts with an attitude of servanthood. 
It starts in a place of saying, God, how would you use me today? How would you call me to love my neighbor today? How would you call me to care for my friend today? How would you call me to serve my family today? And you see, if we all went around serving each other, man, well, first of all, we'd all probably be happier, right? Because we're taking care of, we're in community, we're doing family, we're doing life together, we're serving each other, we're not racing for some position in our workplaces, we're not trying to prove something to each other. We understand that ultimately our proof doesn't come from each other, it comes from Jesus. So servanthood causes humility. The third and final point is this. It's to delight in Jesus and the gift that he is. That is the antidote to pride. Romans 7.21 says this. This is just after the doo-doo scripture. It says, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. That's real. The moment you decide to step out and say, I'm going to serve others today, sin will be right there to trip you up. The enemy will be right there to trip you up. That person that you just choose, I'm going to go in and serve this person today because I don't really love them very much right now. They will say something right then and there that just says, I'm not going to do this now. And God's saying, that's, that's true. That's going to happen. I truly delight in God's command, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. It's like when you want to get up off the couch, you want to run. You want to go for a run. You want to go to the gym, but the couch... Your whole body doesn't want to go with you, right? The couch is calling. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul's saying here. Pretty obvious not all of me wants to do this. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life out of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. See, Jesus is the answer to countering our sin and our sin nature. It's a constant communion with him that is the answer to our pride. It's the answer to that temptation. And it's something we have to literally practice moment by moment. It's something that you literally have to fight for. I like this idea of dwelling and dwelling in Jesus. And one of the definitions of dwelling is to live as a resident. And this is what I see. I see if we could live as a resident with God, we can live as a resident with Jesus and in communion and community with him. It's like he's a part of our home. He's with us everywhere we go. If we can dwell in such a way like that, we would see so much of this stuff that we get stuck in just strip away. And can I tell you, like, one of the ways to dwell with Jesus is to worship him. Because it takes our mind and our hearts off of ourselves and puts it onto him. And it puts him at the top. We literally leave worship music on our, on, in our home during different seasons at all times, whether we're there or not, because we are creating an atmosphere that takes us the focus off of our situations and circumstances and places it on Jesus. And that's all he asks of us. He asks us to be in community with him and constant communion with him. And while it may seem hard because it is a moment-by-moment choice, it can be a part of your life. It can be something that you can do. 
it's that check in that moment of like, okay, well, that, I'm going towards pride right now. I'm just going to I'm going to stop and check my heart. God, what do you see here? Let's fix it. Let's move on. So many of us, it's kind of like a diet where if you mess up, like at the beginning of the day, you just decide that that whole day is over. And so you eat all the things. Again, I know I'm just talking to myself, but like that's, that's our reality so often. And that's not how it is with God. You can literally just take it moment by moment. It's simply saying, oh, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I, I did it again. I'm, I did it again. And can I tell you that as we decide to separate ourselves from brokenness and sin, that we will eventually get further and further from falling back into the traps of sin. It takes practice, honestly. You know, I like to tell people, like, who are deciding maybe to create boundaries in their relationship or something, and maybe they, like, went beyond their boundaries, and so they feel really frustrated, and they're really struggling, and they messed up, so now they just kind of want to give up and just be like, forget about it. I tell them, you know what? Try again. And when you're aware of it, and you're aware of the problem, then it's like weeks later, maybe you mess up again, but then after that, it's like months later, Because you're acknowledging the problem and you're saying, that is not where I decided I wanted to be. And so because of that, I am not going to do that again and again every single day. And so there's a promise that as we practice being in communion with God and we share time with God and we allow him into our day-to-day, that we will get stronger. We will be able to defeat sin and its temptation. We will be able to conquer those strongholds over our life. It just takes constant communion with him.